MNK Talk YA now presents King's Cage Part 2 of the Red Queen series by Victoria Aviard. MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished up the third book in the Red Queen series by Victoria Aviard. It was called King's Cage. And it got better than the second book. You were happy with it, right? Or more happy? So much more happy. Okay. So much more happy. I was, I really didn't like the last one, Glass Sword, but King's Cage was actually really interesting and I liked learning more about court and the other kingdoms. And my favorite was getting more of Evangeline's perspective, because I think she's one of my favorite characters, I have to say. I like her a lot. I also, I just love that there's so much more going on and we're seeing the different perspectives. So I like seeing her perspective. I like seeing um, Cameron's perspective. I just like that there's so many moving pieces now. It makes me really excited. And I hope the fourth book keeps it going instead of like alternating really good and boring or something. (laughs) Well... So I was just looking at the fourth book because I have it in front of me. It's a monster. It's really big. It's 657 pages. Yeah. Well, I do feel like Uh, there's a lot that has to happen still. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's still a lot going on and a lot of unanswered questions. And I'm hoping it's not a book like some of the ones we've read where they answer maybe the big question, but there's sort of a lot of open ended stuff for secondary characters. Like I'm hoping we get some good conclusion across the board. Me too. That would be really annoying otherwise. Yeah. That's one of the things that's like my biggest pet peeve in some of the books we've read. I think the core story tends to finish, but a lot of times I have all these lingering questions because we do get so invested in these secondary characters and, you know, what else is going on in the world and stuff. So I'm hopeful that it's really big because they're doing all of that. Me too. Because if there's, I mean, like you said, whenever we have cliffhanger questions, especially about some of the minor characters, it's torture. It really is and you never, and it's like a lot of times you never learn the answer to them, and it's just, it's frustrating. And my imagination isn't good enough to figure out what I think would happen, or I, or it's oh, so good either. that I think of a million different things that could happen, and it's just, yeah, I agree. It's one of my biggest pet peeves, for sure. It's weird, though, looking at this, at this last book and then comparing it to the first book, it's twice the size. Wow. I haven't had them next to each other since I first bought them, so. It's nice. Yeah, so I think we've told our listeners, but I'm mid-move, or I guess I'm on, I'm officially moved I'm at least moved out. I might not be fully moved in. You're in Arizona now. Yes, I'm in Arizona. This is my home. The one thing James, he let me keep all my books. I didn't have to give any of them away. (laughs) But a lot of them went into storage. He didn't let me bring that many in the car. And the car, basically we're not going to get storage until like three or four months. So it was like really hard for me to decide what made the journey. And you have your A-list books and your B-list books. Yeah. And I was like, I need to bring enough books to read for the next four months. But I also want to make friends and share books, so I need to bring some... I don't know. It was it was probably the hardest part of the move for me. Oh my gosh, that would stress me out. <laughs> that stressed me out so much. But I think actually the first two books in the series, because we had already finished them, I don't think... I think they're in the box somewhere. I haven't seen them since we unloaded the car, so... I oh, just well. Have, I just have King's Cage and the fourth book as well, so... Well, good, because we need some pictures for our Instagram on those last two books. <laughs> I am, like, running low. <laughs> okay. I do have my camera somewhere. I'm pretty sure I saw that unpacked. Okay. So. 
All right. So where do you want to start with this last half of King's Cage? Well, should we start with where where did the half end up? She was still imprisoned and whatnot at the end of the, yeah. our last podcast, right? So Yeah. It left off with um, meeting Iris from the Lakelands, who is now engaged to Maven. I actually kind of hope that we get introduced to her perspective in the next book a little bit, because I like that it's all of these... It's all female perspective, which I think is an mm-hmm. interesting choice, but I kind of like it. And since I love seeing Maven and Mare isn't with Maven right now, and really none of the characters are who are telling the story are with Maven right now, I'm kind of hopeful that we'll see Iris's perspective, because I think she has a lot of potential as well to be a really interesting character. I agree, because right now she's like worse than Evangeline. Well, what do we mean by worse? Well, okay, that's true, because Evangeline's kind of slowly moving over to the good side. But she is just so spiteful, and she seems, like, really manipulative and cunning, and I don't know, she just, like, right off the bat, Yeah, she but has... she, she seems less petty than Evangeline, though. I feel like she's, like, a smart oh, really? adversary. I don't know. I kind of feel like... I agree. She's manipulative, and I'm not sure if she's a, that's good or bad, because I think she doesn't really... I don't think she's on Maven's side of things, but that doesn't mean she's on the Red Guard side either. That could mean she has her own completely different agenda. But I feel like she's less of the, I don't know, Evangeline felt a little bit like a mean girl, petty, competitive a little bit with Mare at at points, I thought. But Iris, like her first move when she was, when she became uh, Maven's fiance was to enlist Evangeline to help plan her wedding. Like, that's so petty. She basically was like, okay, I'm the new bride-to-be, so Evangeline, you're going to help plan everything. And she, like, makes her carry her train when she's walking down the aisle, and she makes her plan everything. And they even say, like, the court was like, this is almost scandalous because Evangeline's, like, cast to the side. Not that she minds. But yeah, just, like, in the eyes of true. the court, like, it was such a bitch move. <laughs> I guess I, I remember, now that you're saying that I, like, remember that, and I don't disagree, but because I, A, didn't feel strongly about Evangeline up until that point, and B, didn't think Evangeline was that upset about not marrying, like, I think it would have been worse if Evangeline was, like, in love with Maven, or, like, I kind of felt like because she seemed sort of relieved about this whole thing, I didn't feel as bad about that choice, and yeah. I sort of feel like she's a better just her interactions with maven and mare when she first got to the castle and like asked Mm -hmm. for a tour and then i just feel like she can kind of hold her own with maven a little bit differently than some of these other characters so far so i'm curious to see i think i'm more curious about her relationship with maven and that playing out and i think she could be more interesting than evangeline there because evangeline had sort of already been pushed to the side by maven Mm -hmm. and dismissed and i feel like iris won't let that happen yeah and I feel kind of bad for Evangeline a, a little bit because she we get her perspective a lot in this second half and she talks a lot about how she was physically made to marry Cal. Like her parents were like, oh, there's a new prince that was born. Guess we better get busy. Yeah, nine months later. <laughs> yeah. And she's been like a pawn her entire life. And then she was okay with marrying Cal because she thought she was going to have this great setup where she could have Elaine as her lover and then marry Cal and her brother was fine with it. And was like surprisingly impressed with Cal as a like kind person and whatnot. So yeah. Right. And then she had that all taken away whenever Maven came along. Mm -hmm. And now, now they're thinking about putting her back with Cal. 
I know. And it kind of, it reminds me of, it's just funny to see some similarities with Mare. Obviously their backgrounds are really, really different, but she's also having this moment where she was like, I had freedom and now it's been taken away from me. And that's like, makes it so much worse. Like I was okay with this plan when I didn't know any better sort of thing. But um, at one point her dad declares himself king of this other region and she thinks she's going to be free to do her own thing and now she's back as a pawn so that like taste of freedom has made it so much harder for her and it reminds me a little bit of Mare yeah you're right she had the opportunity to make a choice and to be with Elaine and she really thought that was going to happen and now her father is just controlling everything and now actually I mean Cal is partly controlling it too because he was the one who made that deal with his uh with Annabelle his grandmother Mm -hmm. and now he's the one saying like okay well if this is what it takes to make an alliance, this is what it might have to happen. So I'm so curious to see if Kyle's actually going to marry Evangeline. I agree. And well, it was interesting because it sort of seemed like he was like saying yes to the crown when they had, when Mare and Cal had that big conversation on the balcony after the, the fight mm-hmm. and this announcement. But he was still sort of like, I don't have to marry her. Like that's still negotiable. But now that yeah. Mare has been like, I don't want anything to do with you if this is your choice. Right. And knowing that that's sort of the quote-unquote smart political move, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I agree. I feel bad because I feel like that was kind of a bit of a betrayal on his part towards Mare. Just because it was like, (laughs) it was a lot. Because she was just like, you're really going to step back on this throne and undo everything my brother died for and we fought for? Like, how could he even ask her to be his queen after everything that she's been through? Like, she's not going to sit on a silver throne. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I think, I do think it was a shock. I think he really thought it wasn't a possibility for him. So they both sort of let it not be an issue. Like in in some ways it would have been nice if they had talked about it a little bit more. But I think the amount that they had talked about it before, they both sort of thought, well, he especially seemed to think it was an impossibility. She seemed to kind of know it could, or she seemed to know that he still sort of wanted to be king, even though he wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, well, but again, it goes back to that's how he was raised and what his purpose how, was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he, I think this experience would make him a better king than if he hadn't had this experience and stuff. That doesn't mean he should be king. But I think he honestly thinks he could do right by this. I don't think it's just a power move. I think he truly believes he would be a good king and stuff like that, which doesn't mean he would or that it would be the right choice. But I, I don't think it's purely a selfish power move. I think he also has just grown up thinking this was his destiny and, you know, there's no one better suited for it than him. And he's still, I mean, we've seen him struggle with the silver versus red thing. Yes, he's made red friends. Yes, he loves Mare. But he still sees that difference between them. And yeah. Yeah. And and I always, and I'm wondering too how much of um, why he made the alliance with his grandmother was about getting back his throne or about getting Mare released. From jail because I think that was the main concern for him at the time like Agreed. he just wanted to make this alliance to get Mare safe and then Annabelle agreed to let Mare go free and, and um, aligned herself with House Stamos with Evangeline's house yep. basically on the agreement that she would support his bid for the throne and then she totally went back on her word and she was like yeah right I would never support another king while my grandson was still alive like you're out of your mind and so I don't know how much Cal really knew she was going to do that. I agree. I think he was, I, I really think he found out in the moment it was announced that that was a possibility. Yeah. And again, that's where it's also like, that is something he had already dismissed as a possibility, but was his dream for so long. It's a little bit, it was a good move on the queen or ex-queen or whatever to say, Annabelle, his grandma, yeah. 
to do it that way because it was harder for him to think it through and like I mean you know what I mean like it sort of yeah forced an action that aligned with what she wanted but but yeah I agree I don't think he's I don't think he had even thought it was a possibility through the planning I think it was purely to save Mare that he was working with his grandma in the first place and he did yeah he saved her I am interested to see what's going to happen between Piedmont and Montfort mm-hmm. because now like those countries are kind of at war a little bit because of all this. I hope we see more about that rift between the two countries because it's like the Montfort kidnapped the children of the Piedmont prince, yep. Michael and Charlotta, and now um, in exchange for the Scarlet Guard setting up a place there. And so now I'm like, I kind of hope we learn more about these two countries and like what how that alliance will hold or won't hold yeah I agree there really isn't like a completely good guy here because this you know everyone and there can't be I guess in some ways in the sense of war like you have to make decisions and sacrifices and stuff but everyone has made some of the wrong choices and it'll it'll sort of be interesting to see who rises to the top and how these things play out yeah, and we also learn a little bit about Farley's past, too, and how the Scarlet Guard kind of led to her sister being killed and her mother mm-hmm. when the Scarlet Guard was super young. I kind of hope we get a backstory with that, because that was interesting, like, how someone revealed where the Scarlet Guard was hiding, and and, and Iris's dad was the one who flooded the whole town and killed everyone. I was going to say, it was interesting to see how what kind of ruler he was. Yeah. Because he's, de- he's dead now, right? That was part of what we found out at the after the big battle. Oh, Iris's dad battle. is one of the people who was killed mm-hmm. in that battle. But Maven went free. Yes, and because um, Dallin Iral, yep, he he was trying to prevent Maven from escaping. Well, that was his job, and he didn't do it. And then the king died. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now, so now there's just Iris, and then there's Maven, and then there's Cow, and there's Evangeline, and then Mayor's somewhere thrown in there. So <laughs> I really don't know who's gonna end up on this throne. <laughs> And we have the Scarlet Guard, and we have Piedmont, and we have Montfort, or Montfort. whatever. And we also still have a bunch of people who are somewhere in the middle. We have this, like, New Blood army who hasn't really officially sworn an alliance in most cases. We have New Bloods on both sides, or on lots mm-hmm. of sides, actually. But they are very powerful and haven't really aligned themselves fully with anyone yet. So I like that we learned that we met three other New Bloods who share um, Mare's power, though. I do, too. That was kind of interesting. Especially because we had seen some duplicates of other powers. It would have been mm-hmm. a little bit too much if she was the only one of her of her power <laughs> right 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 and she's learning that there's so many different ways to use electricity and you know that oh, yeah. sort of each of those three has a different tactic or a different specialty in this world and she's sort of the least trained newest among them and is trying to figure out how to use electricity in all these different ways so that was kind of cool like titan how he can create seizures by yeah. like messing with the body's electricity. That was crazy. That was crazy. Because he can kill very discreetly now. Because before, like, you know, every time Mare used her power, it was like, people noticed. Like, there <laughs> Big was show. There subtle yeah. about it. <laughs> Lightning comes out of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a different way to be a little bit more sneaky about it. It was actually really cool on my road trip when we were going through New Mexico late at night there was a big storm and just like the way Mm. it's so like flat and open where we were driving so we weren't actually in the Mm -hmm. storm but it was off in the distance and it was like really amazing lightning and it made Mm. me think about this book and how I was like Mare's upset over there yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's she's training right now yeah she's training to kill the king I also think it's interesting because we killed a bunch of sorry I'm going back to Mare's escape 
So Evangeline helped. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's head And Mayor didn't know anything that, anything about the deal that had been made or the alliance or what side Evangeline was on. So Evangeline killed the Arvin guards, and she thought mm-hmm. that she was next. But Evangeline ended up letting her go free because her dad had made a deal with Annabelle. But the Arvin guards are killed, so that was four of them. Are there still more Arvin guards? I mean, are there still more Arvins? House Arvin? I feel, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they make um, Silent Stone from them, we learned. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was interesting. Remember that whole gross scene where they were bleeding them? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you're right. There are more. So, yeah, I think there still are Arvins left. I think, I liked how Evangeline was like, I'm going to let you live, but you have to let my brother live. Yeah. her brother was the one who killed Shade, and that is, like, a tough deal, but Mare accepts it. I wonder if she'll keep her end of the bargain, though. I feel like she might, because now Evangeline's, like, clearly working on their side like she fought against maven in the last battle so yeah i feel like they're gonna be allies i mean it'll be interesting if she's given another real option to make a choice about it like if she's in a position Mm -hmm. where she has like a good opportunity to get away with killing him sort of yeah because obviously she's refrained from like flat out attacking him now that she's free and he's been in her presence and stuff but i agree it'll be interesting if or if he says anything about her i don't know i just It'll, yeah. But that was smart of Evangeline because she loves her brother in a similar way that Mare loves. This is, again, I see so many more similarities between the two of them. She loves her brother similarly to how Mare loves Shade. Shade. Yeah. Yeah. I also like the part where they escaped where um, Samson, who finally is taken out, thank God, good ridden Samson. I loved whenever he was controlling Mare and forcing her to kill Cal, and then he started controlling Cal and forcing. Yep. him to kill Mare and he was like using them against each other and they were both going back and forth fighting against it and then they finally take him down together yeah great. what a terrible position to be in if they hadn't Ugh, killed him I know I was worried there for a minute yeah I mean he was a he was a worthy adversary too I think luckily there were two of he them was, like sadistic too though Ugh. oh he, I mean he was yeah he was a bad bad guy but he was just thinking about how powerful he was and what he could do and how they were mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a clever way to use his power against them yeah but is he the last whisperer are there any more whispers? I don't left? know. I mean, yeah. I again, I think there's still some in the family, but also we're seeing Maven doesn't trust them. Yeah. The Lakeland king had eliminated them basically. Oh, so that's even right. though even though they're very very powerful, they're also like a threat to their own. Like I mean, they have to be careful. Yeah. And we have Julian left who's a singer, which is kind of like that. And yeah. I like how he hints that he's going to be trying to figure out. He thinks this, that the silver gifts came from a scourge that killed most that killed most people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He was like they're not God's chosen but God's cursed. So yep. I think he's like working on trying to figure out where all these gifts came from in the first place, which is interesting. Which I'm very curious to hear a lot about too. So Me too. We better learn that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Something's so threatening. <laughs> <laughs> And it seems so Julian with his, like, academic approach to things and, and whatnot. Like, I... Yeah. Feels, and I, Sarah can talk again. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, there's a lot... I Again, there's just so many characters and so much going on. So we do need 600-some pages to help us make peace with this. this world. <laughs> well, did you do any research this week? Okay, I looked up two things. <laughs> okay. One was self-proclaimed monarchs. Ooh. So the the head of House Samus, Evangeline's father, declares himself king, basically, of the region that he controls. And so I kind of was looking into how often do, do people just do that? Like, if I declared myself king of this house, like, you know, what would happen? <laughs> I'm going to be king of Logan Square. <laughs> right? So Not queen, were, mind you. King. There were some 
like interesting stories or a lot of it was still like some somewhat political like someone was president or democratically elected and then declared themselves king or something like that but this is the most interesting story i found oh this is gonna be good so this was how san francisco wound up with a self-proclaimed emperor what (laughs) yep when was this this was back in the right after the gold rush so it was like the late 1800s so there was this guy his name was joshua abraham norton and he was born in england spent a lot of his childhood in south africa and then after his parents died he sailed west and arrived in san francisco in around 1849 there's some discrepancy Mm. over which boat he actually came over on and at first he was a businessman he had this whole thing where there was like a Chinese rice shortage and so he invested in a bunch of Peruvian rice but then (laughs) the more rice showed up than was expected so the price dropped and he lost like all of his money okay so he kind of in like his 10 years in San Francisco like made a lot of money made a huge fortune and then lost it all and about 10 years after he arrived he laid claim to the position of emperor of the United States so how (laughs) he I guess he wrote to a newspaper and just he was upset with a bunch of things that were happening in the United States and different like political structures that were going on. So in 1859, he wrote to a bunch of different newspapers proclaiming himself emperor. And part of this, this is part of what he wrote. At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States, and in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February, like, and all this stuff. So he had all these, like, proclamations and whatnot. What a narcissist. Why do you think he could even get away with this? So we actually... People think he was mentally serious. unstable oh. a little bit at this point, and yeah. he had like lost all his. He was like living on the streets. So this is how a homeless man became emperor of the San Francisco. Okay. So, anyways, a, he sent this letter to a bunch of different newspapers, and one published it for some reason. Oh Jesus! Basically, everyone was entertained by this and not threatened by it. So yeah, of course. They're actually like no one did anything about his proclamations, obviously. <laughs> but a bunch of people actually showed up at this. He requested everyone to gather on February 1st, his oh. subjects, all his subjects to gather. And obviously, <laughs> Congress was not abolished, and all these other things he requested didn't happen. But a bunch of the readers of this uh, newspaper did come out in like droves because they thought it was funny. And so, even though the doors were locked, there was like a huge crowd oh my who showed up and were like supportive of this emperor. Just to mock him. Basically. I mean, it was like a. I mean, it wasn't fun... like he created a cult or something. No, like, no, no. It wasn't a cult. Him. But he asked for like a bunch of different things. Some of them were like impossible at the time. Like he wanted this bridge built between Oakland and San Francisco, which. <laughs> Again, back in in this day and age wasn't something they could do, but eventually there was a bridge built and a bunch of people wanted it to be named after him, but I don't think it was. He just had like a lot of popular support. So a bunch of people in the area ended up kind of placating him in different ways or appealing to him to get his support on different things. And they're actually, the Emperor of Brazil, Don Pedro II, visited San Francisco on an official trip in 1876. And he met with Norton for like an hour and they like probably had a really awkward conversation, but he was like you know the emperor of the u.s meets the emperor he's mentally yeah. unstable yeah and when he died in 1880 his funeral had over 10,000 people show up 
Wow. Yeah. That's actually kind of amazing. It's, I mean, it's actually like really incredible. And there's a lot of different, they actually think the newspapers might have taken advantage of his kind of celebrity status and mental state to like publish some stuff that probably wasn't his actual declarations and stuff. He was arrested once. Oh no. And committed to involuntary treatment for a mental disorder. But like the whole city protested and like the newspapers wrote about it and basically the police chief agreed that he like had robbed no one hurt nobody all the stuff Mm -hmm. so they let him go and they used to like salute him in the streets someone gave him like a fake uniform all this stuff so (laughs) um he also issued his own money and a lot of local restaurants in san francisco accepted it no so yeah these notes came in denominations between 50 cents and 10 dollars and there's still a few out there that are like considered collect collector's editions or collector's that's nuts but it sounds like he didn't proclaim himself emperor to get like for any kind of gain it sounded like he was just kind of crazy and he had this whole theory he thought that he had a common name because he was actually a descendant of napoleon and his mom was trying to protect him so she changed his name to a common like he he was definitely a little bit deluded or else no one else figured out that he really was i don't know whatever but he had this whole fantasy in his head he thought he he was trying to marry Queen Victoria. No. Just like, there's just some like kind of crazy stories around this whole thing, but. I've never heard of this guy. Yeah, I mean, it was back in the early 18, or the late 1800s. Yeah, he, there was also this, uh, people were turning on Chinese immigrants in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if this was actually what happened, but the rumor is that he stood between the Chinese immigrants and the people attacking them and oh, stopped wow additional bloodshed and stuff because he was like good for so him. he was he, he was a proponent of like equality and like it sounds like a lot of the things he had issue with even though nothing no one really took those things seriously but like the political structures and like i mean he kind of was coming from a place of he was saying a lot of things that people did want changed and whatnot mm, so mm-hmm. that was that was my favorite story and the least awesome. uh that was like the happiest one too probably yeah. that i read yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i'm sure most don't end well because even, I mean, it sounds like a lot of people also who were kind of deluded, but were, were mocked so much more openly or, mm-hmm. you know, like some would commit suicide because of how people reacted and stuff. So this oh guy just goodness. seems like he like made this crazy proclamation. The city was like, you know what? That's funny, but we'll humor him. We'll, we'll, we like you. It's all good. And they like really kind of supported him through his reign as emperor. Um, he also declared himself protector of Mexico at some point, but I don't really know okay. the whole story there. Yeah, that was kind of the mo- the most interesting research I did. I love it. What about you? That's awesome. Um, okay, well, I was inspired by the end of the book whenever they have this that big battle and they jump out of a plane in the middle of a storm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool because they're like falling through space essentially and that was it all ends well it was really (laughs) scary yeah and so i thought that was a really cool scene when they when they jump out of the plane they did the teleporting thing out of it didn't they yeah or they would jump out and the people who controlled gravity would help them fall safely and then the teleporter would bring the gravity controllers to a different ship right and they were like don't worry we've trained for this but mare was like this is insane we're all gonna die (laughs) yeah well especially if that wasn't like it's one thing if that was like their plan all along and they had talked about it or practiced or it was sort of like we can't land so i have a crazy idea let's all jump out of this perfectly good plane and into a storm (laughs) controlled by silver people trying to kill us (laughs) exactly so that yeah, that'll work well. <laughs> so I researched uh, stories of people jumping out of planes, just like some of the most outrageous 
stories. Okay. I bet some of those don't end well. I titled this Skydiving Disasters, but none of them are disasters. Well, okay. I mean, you'll see. Okay. <laughs> some of them oh, have, like, bad consequences, but not as bad as it could be. Okay. <laughs> They're not as the worst thing that could happen. Okay. So this is insane. So Christine McKenney, she was uh, from South Africa, and she was a pretty experienced skydiver, and she was doing her 112th jump. Um, And as she was falling from a height of 11,000 feet, she pulled her ripcord to open the parachute, but the main chute failed. And so she was like, no problem, I'll just release my reserve parachute. But that also failed. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. So she fell onto power lines. She fell to, this reminded me of Mare too, because she- I was going to say, this sounds very appropriate. (laughs) Fell two miles and landed on electric power lines. And somehow they managed to, like, break her fall, and by God's grace, she did not electrocute herself. Wow. So she did have mild bruises and a fractured pelvis, um, but when her jump buddies landed and they were trying to get help, she was talking and, like, laughing with them, and she was, like, complaining about her broken bone, but, like, in a, in a joking way, and she was telling jokes, like, while she waited for her rescue helicopter. Wow. Good for her. So... Yeah. What do you know? What the percentage of failed parachutes? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't look that up because I didn't want to. Not that I will ever go skydiving ever, but I did it once. I face planted, but I had like a guy behind me. (laughs) Didn't you trip him when you landed? Yeah, I told he told me to like lift my feet up, and I heard like I don't know. I just wasn't listening, I guess, and I (laughs) moved my feet in a way that tripped both of us, and we landed on my face. So. Oh, God. <laughs> but once we had already, like, lit, I mean, like, we were on the ground. It wasn't like I fell out of a plane and landed yeah. on my face. But it's much more fun to think of it that way. Well, here's a guy who actually fell out of a plane. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. In 1963, there was a man named Cliff Judkins. He was flying an F-8 fighter plane, and he was refueling midair when they accidentally set his plane on fire. How do you even refuel midair? That sounds crazy. I know. They can do that, though, I guess. Wow. So his, his plane's on fire, and he knew he had seconds to get out before his entire plane, like, exploded. So he tried to push his ejection seat release button, but it, the button was broken. So he was like, shit, okay, I'm going to have to jump out of this aircraft by myself. But the problem is that, so an aircraft has, like, a really big tail fin on the back, right? And it's, mm-hmm. like, 20 feet tall. And so that's why the ejection seat's so important, because you need to be able to clear, clear it. Yeah. the tail. The tail. So he was just like, I'm just going to throw myself in the air as hard as I can (laughs) to try and clear this tail. So he like launched himself out of the plane at 15,000 feet. He did clear the tail, but his parachute didn't deploy. Oh no. So he felt, this is insane, he fell into the ocean at 15,000 feet. Wow. And then ironically, after he hit the water, then his parachute decided to go off. Which probably drug him down. Right? Yeah, so it started dragging him into the water, and so he he had a broken back, broken ankles, a broken pelvis, a collapsed lung, and he was in severe kidney and intestine failure from the fall. From the force, yeah. Yeah, but somehow he managed to use his knife to cut the cords of his parachute off and swim back to the surface. And he couldn't swim really well, but he managed to stay afloat until rescuers arrived. Wow. But this is insane, so... They couldn't land a rescue plane because the waters were so rough. So not only was he, like, severely injured, there were, like, massive waves, and they couldn't land a plane. So they dropped, a like, a raft, and he spent two and a half hours hanging onto this raft until a ship could reach him to pull him to safety. Oh, my goodness. I know. 
I hear stories like, like this, and I would like to think that I could be like that fast thinking and capable and stuff. But I know I would just like be still in the plane on fire. <laughs> I wouldn't even make it to the ejection. No, seat. I wouldn't yeah. even. Maybe I tried the button on the injection seat, and then I just be that. like, well. FML. Like, that sucks. <laughs> I had a good run, I guess. Okay, so this last one. <laughs> These are two... This is this is nuts. Okay, so this this both happened dur- during World War II. So, um, Nicholas Alcimidi, a British pilot um, during World War II, he was shot by German fighter pilots, and he was going down fast, so he evacuated. He, he like, hit the evacuation button. And it went off perfectly. But the problem was he was at 22,000 feet. And so he immediately passed out due to lack of oxygen. Oh, man. And so he couldn't pull his parachute because he was passed out. Oh, man. So, so he fell from two from 22,000 feet and into a forest full of pine trees. Ooh, that doesn't sound and I, soft. No. Like, I don't know how he didn't impale himself, because he... So I guess the branches, like, slowed his fall bit by bit, and then he landed in a snowdrift. His only injuries were a cut over his eye and a sprained ankle. Oh, my didn't goodness. didn't break a bone. And they said the reason for this is because he was unconscious, and he landed in snow. And I guess, like, being tense when you fall is what causes your bones to break. Like, huh. if you're relaxed and you hit something you your odds of surviving are really really high which is that's kind of it's kind of sad but like that's why drunk drivers more often survive than the people they hit because interesting they're like super relaxed and they don't tense up whenever they hit during the impact well i guess in martial arts and stuff that you one of the things or i don't know i'm acting like i've done these things uh stunt (laughs) stunts and movies and stuff i know they talk a lot about falling properly and i wonder if that's part of you know like being it's like moving using your momentum and not bracing Mm -hmm. yourself against things or even like jumping off of a tall wall or something yeah so that kind of seems in line with that like that you want to not i don't know that's crazy. Yeah, though. no, I've that never makes sense. Well, so the way it ended was kind of insane because the Germans captured him because he landed in enemy territory, but they were really confused about his story because they were like, how did you fall from the sky and survive? So they basically thought he was a superhero and had like <laughs> superpowers, and they were so impressed by his story that they gave him a certificate and he became a celebrity while living out the rest of the war in a POW camp. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And there was another guy. I, I mean, that's kind of, that makes you believe in like guardian angels almost or something. That does kinda. seem like just kind of crazy. Even just hitting yeah. that many trees, I would get hurt. I know. And I mean, a similar thing happened to um, a Soviet bomber and he did the same thing where he passed out because he was too high in the air and he had so few injuries. He also landed in a snowbank. He had so few injuries that he was back up in the air in three months. Wow. Yeah. I would just be nervous. I, I would have like, um, PTSD. maybe PTSD is the wrong word, but yeah, like I, I wouldn't be able to get back in a plane that quickly after something like that happened. I don't think I would either. That was from cracks.com. So I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. That's so funny. I actually have an article up from crack.com also, but I was, oh, really? I was also looking at more stories about enemies working together because that's part of what oh. we're seeing in yeah. this book too it's um annabelle gets some of the rebelling silver houses to help the scarlet guard defeat maven and iris's troops okay so i read about i I feel like we've looked into some of this stuff before so i was trying to find like a good one that we hadn't talked about there was this guy so this is 1992 during the yugoslav wars um which is like 
the Yugoslav National Army attempted to take over the Bosnian capital, and they failed and were eventually brought down by the Bosnian territorial defense. And okay. this is just like one of the most brutal conflicts of the recent timeline, even though we don't talk about it a lot. So when the fighting ceased, there were dozens of Serbs who were dead, and the soldiers who had survived were forced to march to this prison, and there was this 19-year-old guy named Eko Nanandik, who was part of this these captured soldiers. Mm-hmm. So as he was walking to the prison, he was approached by a Bosnian soldier who whispered to him, don't be afraid, just keep quiet. As long as I'm here, you'll stay alive. Ooh. So at first he was like, what just happened? How did I attract yeah. this guy's attention? You know, what's going on? But he realized it was his old friend, Hassan oh Jasovic. Oh my goodness. So they had actually served in the Yugoslavian army initially together, but basically the country's different groups started fighting for sovereignty and all this stuff, and Jasovic wanted to go and fight with his countrymen, so he planned to desert, and Nanandik helped him escape, risked a court-martial and like said goodbye to his friend and helped him leave the army. Ooh. So basically when, he saw, when Jasovic saw him again, he knew he had to like repay the Do favor and save yeah. him and so he convinced the commanding officer to release the serbian soldier to him because he owed him a favor and he and nanandik went and lived with jasovic and his family pretending to be muslim for the next month basically there was like a lot of ethnic cleansing going on at this time of muslim bosnians and the the analogy that was made was this would be like a jewish family hiding a german soldier in the middle of world yeah. war ii like this was like oh a huge God. deal but in the end he escaped to serbian territory survived the war and 17 years later reunited with his friend again so i thought that was kind of cool that's like just like what happened with Marin evangeline yeah it is and evangeline was like just shut up and follow my lead and when you get free burn the place down yeah <laughs> that's so nuts that's such a good story of, like, people who were friends who, like, were able to see past everything that was going on and be like, no, like, I remember we were friends and I need to do this for you. So this was a slightly different story because these people weren't friends to start. But so in okay. World War II, there was um, this B-17 pilot, Charles Brown, who was not the most beloved man in Germany. He was dropping <laughs> tons of munitions on different Nazi territories. But mm-hmm. there was an attack in 1943 that wounded half his crew and left their plane virtually defenseless. So you would think that would be as bad as it could get. But he saw this German Messerschmitt, which is some kind of plane, piloted by the second lieutenant Franz Stigler, who is an ace fighter whose brother, August, had been killed by American pilots. So he was like out for revenge. Okay. So Brown is looking at this guy basically in the eyes and then thinking he's about to die. And Mm -hmm. Stigler gave Brown a friendly nod and escorted his aircraft to safety. Oh my gosh, this is like the Christmas song, Snoopy and the Red Baron. (laughs) No? That's my favorite Christmas carol. (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'll play it for you this Christmas. (laughs) He, like, Stigler saw this plane over his airbase and shooting on this plane would have given him a high score to earn like a medal of honor equivalent but when he went in for the kill shot it became evident to him that these people like couldn't defend themselves at all and their gunner was dead and like you know everyone was wounded and whatnot so this guy was basically like it's not fair to kill them this would be murder this isn't like true war so he had like his internal code of honor and he 
tricked the German planes around him to like protect this B-17 until they got to safety and Brown eventually landed in allied territory and 40 years later they were able to find each other and they then became the best of friends and now they call each other brother or not now but when they reunited they called each other brother and went on a bunch of fishing trips and they went fishing together yeah I love that so much isn't that cool yes that's such a good story and then this one was also funny and i'm that made me feel good or maybe not funny but kind of crazy you know i love wolves so during world war one the russians and germans both had an issue with these crazy super wolves apparently that were they were like dire wolves they were just like extremely strong and not dissuaded by like bombs and shooting and anything so they both had this like huge issue and they ended up creating a treaty and they like hunted the wolves together so they had like a, a mini truce during this time where they were literally like arm in arm with people they had been killing a week before. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. So I actually I looked also into like the psychology of why we do that or how we form, I guess. Alliances. Yeah. Or like the in-group, out-group, like why we, from the time we're born, babies are looking for similarities for people and like it's how we identify ourselves as by we try like we want to fit in there's like this you know a lot of social things at play with how we want to be but it's like a drive to connect with others yeah but you're more likely to form a strong connection if you're working against like a common enemy so it's something called avp but what does that stand for it's a brain chemical called arginine vasopressin (laughs) which forms like a tighter sense of an in-group versus an out-group perspective and it can lead to you're more willing to cooperate or take risks or sacrifice yourself for members of your own group but it can also create more aggression for people who are outside of your group and they're actually saying like a lot of what's going on in the world and the U.S. right now could actually be partially an effect of AVP induced behavior and people like being defensive and aggressive and territorial to protect their own group so I just thought I believe that yep so anyways, like those were the two <laughs> things I researched. I love it. Well, did you have a favorite scene in this book? Now uh, wrapping up? I don't know. There were so many cool yeah. scenes with people. Like, I think seeing the powers working against mm-hmm. each other is sort of an interesting thing. And we saw that both with Mare's escape in the middle of the wedding when the Red Guard attacked and she saw the first other Electricon. And we saw yeah. that, obviously, when they went to defend Porvium from Maven and iris's army and they had the silvers on their side and just i i like anytime where we're seeing a lot of the powers interact with each other i think it's kind of, it would be cool to see that actually play out yeah. or mare's training with the oh, electricons really? okay. would have been kind of cool i think yeah i also kind of wanted to see <laughs> this is gonna sound weird but i liked how she and cow like finally got together in this book uh-huh but also i was disappointed because it was like the grossest sex scene ever because they they like literally did it in a mud pile. <laughs> yeah. Like I wrote, oh, Cal and Mare have sex in the mud. <laughs> and that's literally what it was. And I was just like, are you serious? Like we've been waiting for three books for these two to get together and they finally do it for the first time in a mud pile. Like there had to be a million better places for them to do this. Like why do they have to do it right in the middle of a yeah. mud pit? <laughs> It was weird. It was weird. I didn't like that. That was weird. I agree. And it was right when Shade's baby was about like to be Like, for born. your first yeah. time? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but um, I would like to see the scene where she escaped and, like, Evangeline helps her. I liked that. I 
actually, it would also Evangeline's escape was kind of cool. Like just seeing how she helped her, like her power, I think is so interesting and has so many different uses. So even her like steering the boat and sensing the bullets and I don't know, just like having a better sense of her power too, I think would be kind of cool. To be honest, I just want to see her iron dresses. I know. Metal metallic dresses. Like I want to see her fashion because it sounds fierce and really really cool yeah i agree and her mom sounds cool too we learned we got to meet i mean her mom is terrible yeah but, terribly um, cool i mean cool she's uh, terribly ter- cool cool and i don't know yeah something <laughs> i wrote something down like her mom's awful but i like her animals <laughs> like i like how she was wearing snakes and like she has a panther that comes with her it's a cool like that. power that we haven't seen yeah, too really much of is. yet either. But she, that whole family just has, like, there's still a little bit of, like, maybe petty is the wrong word, but her having the panther there Ugh, when they're when greeting. The panther was just killed. Yeah. It was they're just, grieving, yeah. Um, yeah. Heartless. Yep, yep. There was a lot that happened. Ah. Yeah, there really was. And we have almost a 700-page book left to read. Okay, good. We don't have to say goodbye too soon then. So next week, so next week we are going to read War Storm, the first half. And we're going to read up to chapter 19. Okay. And do you want to read the back? Sounds good. To give people an idea of what's going to happen. <clears throat> okay, this is the fourth book. War Storm, Rise with the Dawn. Victory comes at a price. Mare Barrow learned this all too well when Cal's betrayal nearly destroyed her. Now, determined to protect her heart and secure freedom for Reds and Newbloods like her, Mare resolves to destroy the kingdom of Norda once and for all, starting with the crown on Maiden's head. But no battle is won alone, and before the Reds may rise as one, Mare must side with the boy who broke her heart in order to destroy the boy who almost broke her. Cal's powerful silver allies alongside Mare and the Scarlet Guard prove the formidable force. The Maven is driven by an obsession so deep he will stop at nothing to have Mare as his own again even if it means destroying everything and everyone in his path. War is coming and all Mare has fought for hangs in the balance. Will victory be enough to topple the Silver Kingdoms or will the little lightning girl be forever silenced? In this epic conclusion to Victoria Aveyard's stunning series, Mare must embrace her fate and summon all her power, for all will be tested, but not all will survive. Ooh, who do we think is going to die? Okay, well, here's the big question. Do we think Maven dies? I can't tell you that. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think... I do know. <laughs> <laughs> that's I do your... know, because that's... that's what was spoiled for me. Oh, no. Okay, well, don't don't give it away. I won't. Now I'm afraid to say anything. I don't know why. I feel... All right, I may guess that Killorn dies, because I don't see a place for him. <laughs> He, he wasn't even really in this last book. I kind of want him to become a character again. And I want him to die, know, like, honorably too. if he dies. I miss him. Yeah. I think he's going to die. I think Farley might die. And I feel like um, Mare's family might raise the baby. That would be, actually, I kind of like that. Yeah. I kind of think Maven shouldn't die and Cal should die. But I don't really think I want that. I just feel like, you know, I always want someone, I want always want it to be someone that I don't want to die to die. Maybe Mare will die. <laughs> Maybe. I don't really think oh. so. I don't know. I mean... Because she doesn't really want to be queen, and she doesn't want to... She just wants this new world to change. I don't know. I feel like she has to live, though. Maybe, like, Julian will die. Maybe... Oh, do you think any more, anyone else in Mare's family is going to die? Because that would be really tough. That would be and tough. Bu- that would be a huge bummer. I feel like if anyone, it would be her sister. Maybe Evangeline will die. Oh, I don't want Evangeline. <laughs> We're just naming all the characters, basically. <laughs> or the twins. Anyone anyone could die. Everyone could die. Nobody's safe. Anyone could die. Not all, all will right. survive. No one will survive. 
just the baby. Just Shade's baby is the only Shade. one at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you want to tell people how to get in touch? Yes. If no. You... Oh. First of all, you have to tell me a joke. Sorry. Oh. I always forget the joke. It's okay. I wasn't going to forget. So James okay. and I have been watching a really quality TV show called Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and in the outtakes from last week, they were telling a bunch of dad jokes. So I'm going to share one oh, of those. If you also watch awesome. the show, I apologize because you've heard these. What's the funniest candy bar? Hmm. Laffy Taffy? Oh, that's good. Snickers. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> it was funny, though, because the girl was like, I don't get it. <laughs> the guy had to be oh like, like, snicker, like, ha, like, ha, ha. I don't that's know. It was terrible. just funny. <laughs> they had another one, but we had used it. And then there was the third one. They had the, what was the review about a restaurant in space? Do you remember that one? Mm-mm. The food was great, but there was no atmosphere. Oh, I do remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what the third one was. Anyways, I was just amused because there were dad jokes. And my dad, my mom watches Bachelor in Paradise too, but my dad refuses Aww. to watch with her. And she made him watch those outtakes as a attempt to convince him to watch with her. And he laughed at the outtakes, but did not watch the rest he of the episode. Swayed. That's the, that's the yeah. update for everyone who wants to know. <laughs> Katie's dad is still not watching The Bachelor. Good. <laughs> Good to know. Important things that you all should be aware of. So yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us speak now. at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We would love dad jokes or book suggestions or just anything you want to share. If you want to talk about The Bachelor, you can do that too. Yeah, I also watch Bachelor, Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. So I waste a lot of time not reading, watching TV. <laughs> Bad TV. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. MNK Talk YA. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we're in more places than that, but that's just because I'm so bad at Instagram that it like feels like a lot of work to remember that piece. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the only thing I use now. I know. I need I that's like gonna be my New Year's resolution next year to for next month, maybe. Learn Instagram. Become a grammar. We're gonna keep reading and check back in with you guys next week. Yep. We have to get reading because there's so many pages to read. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.